the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Okay, it's Andy here with a little bit of backstory stuff about the episode you're about to listen to. I really had fun. It's a, What you're going to hear is a conversation that I recorded, not via wiretap, but with a fully disclosed and permissioned talk with a friend and colleague of mine, Abby Siegel, who I've known about six or seven years. She's a college advisor. She's been in that field for maybe 24 years, and we swapped some war stories of crazy dishonest, sleazy, and other types of unethical behavior, you know, writing essays for kids and getting accommodations to take tests on time when you don't have any learning disabilities and all this stuff that we have heard people try to pull off. And we thought it'd be fun to kind of talk to you about how all that stuff go- goes on and give you some advice in terms of what to do going forward. Oh, we talked about double depositing which is something that you may not know what that means. You might be able to figure it out, but it'll be clear when you listen to this episode. If you like our podcast, The College Planning Edge, please give us a great glowing rating. They don't have six stars, so we'll settle for five. And uh, please subscribe and please share this with anyone you know that you uh, think would benefit from this. Thanks a lot for listening and sit back and enjoy my conversation with Abby Siegel. Okay, welcome to an exciting episode of the College Planning Edge podcast. Andy Lockwood here, and this is the podcast that is designed to help stressed out and confused, uh, bewildered parents and kids who are struggling with the whole college thing, getting into college, paying for college, etc. Today, a little different, a little departure, because uh, I have on the line with me Abby Siegel, who is a colleague of mine, and we were just kind of talking about the craziness that is happening in the whole uh, college admissions scandal, Rick Singer and all that, and I thought it would be fun to kind of get on the phone and share some experiences back and forth and and hopefully give you guys some takeaways and, and advice. So, Abby, can you hear me? Yes. Hi. All right. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So, um, so just just b- before we start, just give, give me an executive summary of of your background and how long you've been in the college advising field and your your clients and all that. Sure. I have been in college counseling for almost 24 years. Uh, which I find frightening. But I was the first 10 years of my career. I was a um, a high school college counselor. And since 2006, I have um, owned my own independent college counseling company based here in New York called Abby Siegel and Associates. And I work with students really from all over the world at this point, um, helping them navigate the whole college admissions process. And it's really been sort of my, I don't want, I can't believe I'm going to do this, use the word passion, but really it's been college counseling and the admissions side of it all has really been my focus and, and something I've been really obsessed with since I was 12. Um, and so I've been doing this for a very long time. I was president of my alumni club back in the day. I went to Vanderbilt, and then I went to graduate school in higher education at Loyola University of Chicago. So since really I've been in my early 20s, I've been in college counseling, whether it's school-based and now independent. 
Yeah, and I, I can say personally, I found you uh, very knowledgeable. We've known each other for I don't know six or seven years, I guess. Uh, and it's always it's always fun to hear your thoughts. So, all right, so let's get right into the juicy stuff. So, what what is your take on the whole college admissions scandal? Um. So, in reading like a lot of what our colleagues and my college counselor friends have said, people don't seem to be that shocked. I, on the other hand, was very surprised. And that's not to say that I don't know that these things happen, that, of course, you hear all the time about people whose parents, wealthy parents, might give a couple million dollars to university and put their name on a building or promise scholarships for other students and and whatnot. But the way that this guy went about doing it and what the parents agreed to let him do honestly really, really surprised me. And we were talking before, you know, they – they knowingly knew that he was photoshopping kids' photos on pictures of other students who were not them, and he's passing them off as recruited athletes. And then in one of the cases, the tennis coach from IMG, who was his designated test taker, did, he took one of the, S, the ACTs in his hotel room, and that's all in, that, um, in the affidavit and whatnot. Um, so, and then the student was given an ACT for him to take, I believe, at his home. So, like, I just, I mean, I know that there's a lot of flaws at ACT and at College Board, but the fact that that all seemed to happen really kind of flabbergasted me. And I think it's just, it's so brazen that these parents just kind of feel like, I, I can just give half a million dollars to this guy, give him all the control, let him Photoshop my daughter's pictures on a rowing machine, so, or, you know, or sending pictures of my kids on a rowing machine and make it look like they're recruited athletes. I thought, you need a lot of chutzpah to do that. So I, I, I personally was really like, I, I couldn't stop reading the 204-page documentation. It was like the, the, the romance novel I used to want to read in high school kind of thing. It was crazy. <laughs> so it's a slightly different outcome. Yeah, so I... Uh... <laughs> yeah, not as juicy like that. <laughs> So, so it's, yeah, in terms, I mean, there's a few, two, few different things here to, to talk about. One is, like you said, the, the, the brazenness, but, but also what it's, you know, I don't want to use the word impressive, um, but it's, you know, it's like when the whole Madoff thing came out and there was, you know, all this sort of unpacking of all the various steps that he had to take to perpetuate everything. Right. But with Singer, he had the, the tutor, Mark, uh, what's his face? Riddell. Uh, Riddell. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so so he under, I understand because I have a, a client actually who used him for legal tutoring back in the day. He he was like an underpaid, you know, at IMG they're paying him like sixty five dollars an hour or something, and so he was susceptible to I guess the overtures of, of Rick Singer to make more money. Then he he's like has a new baby. He's a right. younger guy, probably needed yeah. the money. Yeah, uh, didn't he canceled one of the uh, tests right because he because his wife had the baby too. Something so. like like he couldn't do it the date they wanted to do it because the wife had just had a baby. Right. And, yeah, and it was in an email to Felicity Huffman because she responded like, oh, or something before <laughs> the rut-row comment. Rut-row. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the funnier ones, yeah. So, so just the complexity of, and his, I guess, his web of bad actors that he was able to build up was, uh, was crazy to me. But the fact that this happens, um, that wasn't so crazy to me. That was, you know, to what I was saying before was the only thing shocking to me was that people were shocked about it. But, 
<laughs> but the, and that would the, be me. Uh, well, well, you were <laughs> Call me naive, that. and that's fine. I, yeah. I like to think that people are ethical and good until I find out they're not. Well, as, you, as we discussed offline, we certainly have other examples that disprove that, that theory. So hopefully you'll be a lot more cynical by the time we finish here. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure after uh, talking to you, I will be. <laughs> yeah, I've had a thought on a lot of people. So... so um, no, so, so, so the thing that was the most striking to me, not shocking, but the most striking to me was just the sort of matter-of-fact kind of dismissive, like, oh, yeah, this is how it works. Like, I think the, um, the lawyer said, uh, you know, the guy who said head of the, one of the big firms in, in Manhattan. Yeah, uh, Gordon Kaplan. Kaplan, yeah, said something like, oh, I'm not worried about the ethical implications here. Like, like he just had to c- carve that out just to, just to understand, Mr. Well, <laughs> I have to say about Gordon. Kaplan, I don't know him, but bless his heart that the only thing he cared about was his daughter not finding out. So, I mean, that was his big thing, was like, I just don't want my daughter to find out that I'm doing this. Yeah, you are finding the good in someone who's... Yeah, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) He's not helping his profession either. (laughs) Uh, No, not at all. Yeah. So anyway, so so um, so so some of the the stuff that I wanted to talk to you about specifically has to do with not necessarily you know the stuff that that has come out in the Singer case and, and is still going to come out as we both suspect, but um, just just in general, like I, I hear um, from other counselors like you and occasionally from my own clients and from other parents that the uh, there's a lot of and i don't think it's a majority by any means but there's a lot of parents and kids who really have no problem in terms of bending or even you know sort of breaking rules like you know what they consider i, I assume sort of right on red infractions but those have to do with having other people write essays getting extended time uh, you were talking about double depositing mm-hmm. we talked about um, early decision stuff so Let's talk about all that because I find that to be very interesting, and I think maybe in our own way we can kind of set the record straight a little bit to correct some of these parents. Like you were in some discussion group, you saw this this line of discussion about all this stuff. I think a lot of times parents don't know where the where they cross the line, and that's kind of a, a problematic thing to me. I I agree. I think when we were talking about like double depositing and applying early decision and trying to get out of a binding agreement that a lot of the parents don't realize what the consequences are. And I have to give them a little bit of credit because if I wasn't in this profession and I was a parent 25 years after I graduated from college working with my own kid, helping them through the process, it's completely different. I mean, one of the things that I come across all the time is I'll put schools on a, on a student's list. And I might get a, a phone call here and there that says, like, why would you put this school? This school, like, anybody could get into that school. I'm like, yeah, maybe when we were applying to school, but not anymore. Now that school is a 25% acceptance rate, and it's very challenging to get in there. So I, I do think there are a lot of parents that have good intentions, and they just don't understand the consequences. And, like, what we were talking about with early decision there are a number of families that just apply early decision because they think this is the only way my student is going to get in. And I will say that the percentage of students that are filling up freshman classes is reaching 50, 55% at a lot of really selective schools. So yeah, applying early decision and pledging yourself to that one school probably will give you a little bit of an advantage depending on the school. But 
if you don't have the financial means and you haven't run your net price calculator and you're better to speak to about this, but, and, you, and you might not be able to pay for it, then I always tell my families that I wouldn't do it because to then just be frivolous and say, oh, I can just get out of it if, I don't get, if I don't, they don't meet my financial need, you're then putting your own students' um, reputation on, in, on, in jeopardy, your high school counselor's reputation and credibility in jeopardy, the high school itself, because if you then just say, oh, I can't come anymore because I, I, you didn't give me the financial aid I needed, well, a lot of these schools will talk to each other. So, you know, like the Ivy League schools, they could exchange information on here's who we accepted early decision or early action. So if you have another kid trying to get in this way, they signed with us originally. Or the NESCAC schools and things like that will we'll share information. Um, and then the, counselor, the guidance counselor has to sign a form that an early, excuse me, an early decision agreement form with the family. So it's then, then their reputation becomes, you know, could become a problem because then the, the college could go back to the counselor and say, you, this is what you advise them. And now they're trying to pull this out of the other. What say you about that? So I think in that case, that, that's a problem. Um, you know, and, and we were talking about double depositing at the end of the you know end of the road, but so, so not to cut you off. So let's get back to yeah. the early decision thing because there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about there. So, so, so just for, for people who are not as initiated into into the whole process. So, so when you apply early decision, it's a you know you're basically signing a contract, even though in uh, technically a kid who's under the age of 18 can't sign a contract, but the parents and your parent and counselor. And the counselor are all parties to this, and they're saying, in effect, um, if you get admitted, you are obligated to come unless you decide that the financial aid offer is not adequate. So you actually do have, like, like Abby just said, a, a financial out. But um, if you are doing your reasonable due diligence and you think, you know, you, you use a net price calculator and you understand that you're probably not going to be awarded any money, but you try it anyway, and then you try to, you know, negotiate out of it or invoke your your right to to get out of it. That's a lot harder. And um, what what you were saying to me before offline, you 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 have a specific situation of, or you heard about a specific situation where a kid got into two schools in the same city. I think it was Northwestern and, and, and New Chicago. So uh-huh. explain what the negative repercussions were to the kid who tried to get out of his, who, who actually got out of his uh, early decision agreement. And then I'll tell my own story involving one of those schools. Yeah, so this, this is a story that's happened to a friend of mine who was a, um, a former, she's a, also a school counselor, we used to work together a long time ago. So she had a student who applied early action to the University of Chicago. And early action, just to clarify, is a non-binding early agreement. So you could apply to Chicago, you could apply to Michigan early action. There's a lot of schools that have early action. And if you don't, if you get in, you still have until May 1st to make a final decision. Whereas at Northwestern, the other school he applied to is early decision. So you can apply early decision and early action to most places. But if you get into early decision, that's where you're going. In this kid's case, he ended up getting some really big scholarship offer at the University of Chicago. So, of course, then, if he didn't get anything Northwestern, he wanted to get out of it. So he told them some, some excuse or some reason why he couldn't go, and then he said to Chicago, I want to go there. Well, technically, he wasn't really supposed to rescind the early decision, and because the deans of admissions at both schools knew each other, they were chatting, and apparently – they found out that what this student had done, and they rescinded 
both of his applications. And his counselor, my friend, had to then, you know, scurry along and find, you know, other options for him. And he lived in the Chicago area. I think he ended up at Illinois. Um, but, you know, here he was with two great offers and then all of a sudden found himself with none because what he did was really unethical. It's not illegal. It's unethical. Yeah, it's, it's underhanded. It's, yeah, to, to me, it's worse than illegal. It's, it's, it's unethical. Not that I want to judge everyone, but I, I understand ex- ex- exactly why both admissions officers uh, you know, <laughs> felt the same way about that. Uh, yeah, and especially, so, too, when you're applying early decision, if you know a school doesn't give merit money or doesn't give certain types of financial aid and then you don't qualify for need-based aid, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think then – you kind of know going into it that your chances of getting any money is pretty slim. Um, yeah, you know, let's I say you make over $200,000, but you, still, you have four kids and it's still not enough money to qualify for need-based and you need merit-based and the ED school doesn't really offer that. Then I, for me, I would say to a family that I wouldn't do ED if you really need the money. So then if yeah. you do that and then you pull out, it's like you, you knew that to, so to my, start my with. Is, to me, that's yeah, really unethical. Is, my, my guess is you know, maybe 75, 80% of the time it's relatively easy to figure out whether you're going to get money or not. But there's, you know, so, so the situation that I was uh, just go- going to describe, I had a client who applied this year to um, Northwestern and Michigan, uh, ED to Northwestern, and uh, just regular or maybe early action. I can't remember if they even have that. Yeah, it's like a priority early action. Yeah, okay. November 1st. Okay. And um, in his case... On paper, he looked like he was not going to qualify, but in the whole financial aid process, you know, there's, there's formulaic as well as non-formulaic um, considerations. So without, without getting to the details to, to betray any confidences, you know, he looked one way on paper, but the reality was far different. So he didn't really know how the financial aid offer was, you know, the net price calculator didn't really pertain to him because it doesn't, you know, cover his circumstances. So he gets into both schools, Northwestern gives zero, and we try to appeal it, and he, um, we can't budge them. We can't, we can't make them buy the explanation. And in the interim, uh, Michigan came back, and they gave him almost a free ride. It was, uh, he had to pay about $15,000 out of pocket. So he was kind of freaked out. He didn't know what his obligations were. And I said, I think what you should do is call Michigan and just explain everything to them because I don't think that Michigan and Northwestern talk to each other, but it's not really about that. It's really more about being above board and just explain to them. So he made the call to, to Michigan. They explained, you know, it was, they wouldn't hold it against him one way or the other if he decided to come or not to come or decided to, you know, invoke his early decision out um, financial out to Northwestern or not, and then he called Northwestern, explained the whole thing to them. At, you know, after we'd finished the appeal process, and they said, "Yeah, no problem, you're out." So yeah. he did it in a different way. He he wasn't underhanded at all. He was just very above board, but he was very stressed out for a, a two week period. Oh yeah, as I would be as well. I think in that case, that's a little bit different, and also. There's been students, obviously, that have extenuated circumstances outside of just financial that they may get in early someplace and then they have to rescind it, like they get sick or something happens with the parent or they can't go away from home anymore or whatever it is, and that's, that's fine. Like That I wouldn't necessarily have a major problem with. It's just flippant parents that are like, eh, it's no big deal, and you know, if we don't get what we want early, we'll just go somewhere else. It's like, yeah. no, it doesn't really work that way. Sure. No, but what, yeah. it sounds like sounds like what your family did was the right way to handle it. 
yeah, he clear it with them both. Yeah. Okay. So so let's talk more about the whole attitude thing. So so talk about double depositing. And, and again, just as a quick explanation, that means when you put down a housing deposit at more than one school, which you're not supposed to do, and that is, I mean, there's no gray area. It's really it's really black and white about that. So describe how you came across that discussion and and the the, the, sh- the shock and disappointment that you were <laughs> I was shocked and disappointed. I'm always yeah. shocked and disappointed. I guess, but no, it's I'm just like in a, in a couple of parent groups online um, on Facebook and work because you know for those of us that work at home alone that's sort of my link to the outside world but and I and I don't post that much in those groups just because I kind of just want to lurk and see what's going on but I also really do learn stuff like I, I, I will learn things about people's experiences with different schools or their own experiences with their student and you know sometimes it's actually really helpful but this afternoon there was a question about double depositing and that's really typically frowned upon. I mean, most schools are going to let you know no later than April 1st if you've been admitted or not. Now, if a student is waitlisted, that's a whole other story. But students are given through the principles of NACAC, the National Association of College Admissions Counseling, you're given until May 1st to make a deposit at one school. And the hope is a lot of schools are starting to, fi- are starting to send in their um, decisions. I think Ivy Day is March 28th. That's usually like the latest date. So by March 28th. So then you technically have a month to go and either look at schools or talk to people at schools and to make a final decision. And it's just really frowned upon to double deposit because you could be taking away a spot from a student who's on the wait list who may really want to go there. And also, the schools are calculating their final numbers and their yield based on how many deposits that they're getting. Yes. So if you're double depositing or triple depositing, you're, you're allowing these schools to have, you know, to have um, incorrect statistics and things like that, which, again, a lot of families don't know about, they don't consider, and a lot of times don't really care because they're just out for themselves. And they're like, why, do I, why would I care? You know, I say to my students, I've sent them all an email, if you have schools already that you've been accepted to and you know you're not attending them, please let them know immediately because you may be giving another student a chance to get in. And I'm hoping that, you know, my students all do that and, I, you know, I try to make them feel bad and be like, think about if that was you, that you're, you know, in the, uh, in the bubble and you want to get off the wait list or something. But, um, you know, they seem, to, they seem to understand that. But a lot of parents, they don't care. It's about their kid and that's that. But it's well, just... So what was the, the scenario? Was it, it was someone who developed well, migraines or something? Yeah, the scenario today was about a student who has been accepted to two different schools. One of them initially was probably going to be the choice. It was a little further from home. It had a better, like the major was more suited for her. Um, Financially, both options were similar. So it wasn't about financial aid or anything. And the second school, I think the major wasn't as appropriate to her interests that she would like, and it was closer to home. But the student is now experiencing migraines and not feeling well, and they're doing some testing. So they're really not going to know until June what's going to happen with her with the physical health. And it might be better for her to be closer to home, to be closer to doctors and things like that, but they just don't know. So they were thinking, oh, we should just double deposit because then when we know in June what the deal is with the health, we'll be able to make a better choice. And a lot of the parents were responding like, yeah, just do it. No big deal. It's fine. It's fine. And this one other woman who I think is an independent counselor, but I'm not sure, she was like, no, 
you really can't do that. And people were fighting back on it. And I wrote, I wrote, I did write, I'm like, no, this person is correct. It's really not seen in a positive light at all. Now, I will do want, do want to clear something up. There are a number of schools, though, that you'll get accepted and you'll have to send in a housing deposit. That is different than an enrollment deposit. Okay. And a lot of times they're refundable. So at a lot of these really big state schools, it's hard to get housing as, an, as a freshman. Like, yeah, it's guaranteed, but the sooner you send in your, in your deposit check for housing, the better your choices may be. So in that case, I'm like, yeah, go ahead and send in the housing deposit. It's fine. You might lose your money. You might not. And if you don't care about that, then fine. And they're securing at least their spot in housing, which if you decide not to go there, then just let them know. That's different than the enrollment double depositing. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. all right. So now let's talk about, um, I think, one of our mutual pet peeves, the essay writing by non-students. Yes. So, so you told a really funny story to me before about the uh, the mysterious Google Doc authorship. Yeah, I, I, I feel like an elder in that I would always make my students do everything by Word document. And then a couple of years ago, kids started saying, can we just do, do it through Google Docs? And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll have to learn that. Fine, no problem. So I learn it, but what I don't think a lot of people in our age range understand is that I can see when somebody goes in and makes changes, and you can see the person's name. So what I, the story I was telling you is that during this application season, I, like one time I woke up in the middle of the night, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, I can't sleep. I'll just go and like read emails or you know, look on my computer, and there's a dad in there like retyping things and editing the essay, and I can see it's his name. And I'm like, no, please go to bed. Like, stop. Stop doing this. I mean, you could tell. You could easily tell, and also when a student's like written me a couple of drafts, and I'm like, let's keep going back, let's, you know, let's, here's how I would edit and change it, and then all of a sudden it comes back, and it's like beautifully written. And I'm like, okay, an adult has gotten their hands on this. <laughs> and it's obviously not written by a 17-year-old. Right. I, I remember a few years ago, I had um, a, a kid who was not necessarily the most motivated guy, which is shocking, I'm sure. And um, and the and the parents hired me, and usually, and, and when you know before someone hires me, I, I usually have a whole sort of interview with the whole family, and I'll say something. Listen, you know we're expensive. Uh, I don't want your parents to waste their money. You really have to be committed, to, you know, to doing this. And, and I'll say to the parents too: this is, you know, this is really about your son or your daughter, you know, sort of putting on the big boy pants or the equivalent, and, and learning how to, you know, be responsible and you know, be a productive adult and all that. And, and they always, everyone's always like, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, we t- we totally agree. So I had this this guy who wrote a really bad essay, and I gave him a lot of changes, and then he sent me another draft, and you know, I, I made a. Uh, another significant amount of suggestions and then uh, you know maybe two weeks later and then after that second um, round the literally about a half hour later I got an email from the dad saying hey um, I just wanted you to take a look at something a different direction that I thought I would go and what do you think of this I wrote it <laughs> and, and, and he's, you know, the kid's like a B plus, or the you know, with great inflation, probably an A minus student at, at a very good high school. But he's just not a good writer. And the dad is a lawyer, you know, he, so he writes like a lawyer. And, and oh, then he must like, be a good writer. <laughs> well, says the like person who loves lawyers. I'm like alone in that. In that, yeah, I'm like the uh, one person that loves lawyers. He's he's well. I, I, but they're I not know. all the best writers. 
yes, I, I am a recovering attorney. I don't know if you knew. That. Oh, but, but congratulations! Uh, what, I, what I mean is, he was writing like a lawyer, you know, with a lot of which I consider bad writing, many multi-syllabic words that don't require, you know, an extra two syllables. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I was like, listen, I'm not going to read this. Uh, you know, this this is not how we agreed that you know that we would go forward. And you know, I'm not judging you, but you know, this this I don't think this is helpful. And he was, oh yeah, of course. I, I just wanted to see, but he, he's, you know, he spent like twenty five minutes writing his own essay. <laughs> just oh my god! See what I thought. To, almost like he was asking for permission to use this, and it's just weird. It, but it just didn't dawn on him. That, that's the thing. Like the, the that I want to keep coming back to is that um, I, I, I'm sure you get asked this. I, I get asked stuff all the time. Like, do you write essays? Do you um, have? Do you make phone calls to colleges? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just like they assume that that's part of why you retain someone to do that. And that's what's so weird to me. Yeah. Fortunately, I do get asked that quite a bit. And I'll have people that call, and they're kind of fishing around, like, oh, so do you have connections at different schools and all this kind of stuff? Because I do visit a lot of schools. I mean, that's what I know a lot of independent counselors spend a lot of time visiting colleges and stuff. I mean, how else are you going to learn about them if you just don't go see what, they, you know, what they're all about in person? Yeah. But you know, and I, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know people at schools, but no, I'm not calling. Um, you know, I'm not making phone calls just because you're paying me to do that. The only time I would ever do that is if there was a major extenuating circumstance and it had been at a school where I, I might know somebody and we're friendly, or they have said to me and other college counselors, if you have somebody you think would be a great candidate, by all means, let us know. But right. otherwise... No. And, and I, like, as far as essays go, like, I love brainstorming ideas with kids. Like, I have a whole session with just the student where I'll just, we'll just talk about things. And from there, I might hear something or see something written that they've written and be like, what's, tell me more about that. Tell me what that's about, and that's what I think your essay should be about. And a lot of times, though, I get parents to be like, really, that's the topic? Or, you know, they, as you said, they want to take the essay in a different direction. And they just want to write about something that's completely cliche. And I'm like, okay, I'm already bored listening to you talk about this. I can't imagine how it's, what, what you're even going to be writing about. Right. They, so just, they don't coaching. seem to get that it. Is, that is coaching. That's not ghostwriting. That's two totally different things. So that's, and that's really what, you know, what we should be offering as, as a service. And that's, that's what admissions officers at colleges want. And frankly, it's very unusual for any admissions officer to want to hear from a private hired gun like us they would rather hear from the kid and maybe the guidance counselor. And the, yeah, the school counselor, for sure. Else. Yeah, hardly anybody else. So, and I think it's also, you know, when, when you have a kid who's a, a B-plus student in English and he writes a Pulitzer Prize winner as an essay, <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit of a red flag also. You know, I have four, exactly. former, I have four former college admissions officers who, who, uh, who helped me. Um, three are from New Chicago, by the way, coincidentally. And they can sniff that out, you know, like a mile away. It's not, it's not a, uh, you're, not, you're not fooling anyone, you know, when yeah. you hire someone to do this for you. Exactly. And I've made edits before. I can think of on two different occasions where I've made edits, and I must have put in a vocabulary word of some sort or an expression, and both times they're both girls. They both, like, texted me back, and they said, um, I wouldn't use that expression, or, like, I would never say that. Or someone's like, I don't even know what that means. Can we take that out? I'm like, absolutely. You know, yeah. calling, calling themselves out before they can even, 
you know, worry about what's, what's going to be sent that might not look like it was written by a 17-year-old. And look, I'm not saying I, I don't have the world's biggest vocabulary at all. So whatever it was was not even anything that out of the ordinary. It yeah, must well, have been I, some expression. What I find is that's, that's them taking ownership of, of the process, whereas you know, all the kids in this, in this scandal, uh, they were having everything done for them, and it seemed yeah. like they were just sort of helpless almost pawns along the way just so the parents could, I don't know, have bragging rights for these uh, mostly prestigious, not entirely, but mostly prestigious colleges. That, you know, that's weird to me that they cared that much about schools like University of San Diego, as a, as a side note. <laughs> like, I well, can't figure that one out. Oh, <laughs> poor USD. I know a lot of articles I've read are like six highly selective and one selective, and like, making pains to point out that yeah. one of the schools was University of San Diego. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I guess like in these cases that the parents, I know for some of the parents they were like uber competitive people and just, you know, this is just how they operate in terms of their kids. But it seems like a lot of the parents, I mean, a lot of the families with these parents come from extreme wealth that I would also, with very high-powered jobs, that I would think would bring the connections that you could find if you, whether you attended Yale or Princeton or Harvard or whatever. You know, you can get those, you can make those connections at other schools. I know a lot of people say, oh, it does matter where you go to your undergraduate. It does matter. That's where you're going to make all your connections. But I went to a really good school, and, I mean, I have lovely friends. I love them, but it's not like I've made super high-powered connections because of it. You know, I don't think that's going to be the end game. I think, you know, these, these parents already have those connections. So the kids could go to college for four years, and then when they get out and time for them to have a job, can't their parents, like, put in a good word for them then, you know, or nepotism and hire them at their own companies? I mean, what they've done now is going to be way more harmful to, this, to the kids than what they, you know, how they could help them eventually down the road, I think. Yeah. It's just yeah. for the kids that didn't know about it, because I do believe there were kids that did not know. Well, there was one story about um, the guy who showed up at USC, and someone <laughs> said, so you're, uh, you're, you're ready for track or something? Or, I can't remember what the sport was. It was an yeah. academic advisor sent him an email, yeah. like maybe you shouldn't have classes on Friday. It's going inter- to intervene with your track meets. Intervene. And he was like, what are you talking about? And then called his mom and said, I got this weird email. And so she called Singer, who was like, don't worry about it. And then yeah. the, the I think it was it. at USC. So he had two of those coaches on his payroll, so they just sort of like took care of it. They told the yeah. coach he was injured and wouldn't be running it or whatever he was doing anymore. Right, but to your point, I'm sure that kid feels like crap about himself because now he, all of a sudden he realized he didn't get in on his own merits. Exactly. Yeah. Like exactly. I mean, I don't think Felicity Huffman's daughter know, knew that her mom had somebody doctor her ACT score or, P- or SAT score as SAT because she got like a 1040 or 1020 on her PSAT and then all of a sudden gets a 1420 on the SAT. Yeah. Unless she had a really good tutor. Right. Well, she but did. 400 points is a lot. Yeah, that's, you know, that's another thing that makes me kind of skeptical about all, all these kids who apparently didn't know. If you had never done better, you know, PSAT, practice test, or, you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden you crank 400 extra points, wouldn't you be a little suspicious deep down or maybe not so deep down that something went wrong? I don't know. <laughs> 
Uh, I would be, but as I told my parents, I'm like, I guess you guys weren't that bright to, like, try to buy anything for us. Um, But, yeah, no, I would have been – if I was her, I'd be totally shocked if my score went up that much. And with some of the other kids, too, like, it was also really kind of funny, I guess. I don't know if funny is the right word, but they would talk about it with that Mark Rydell guy. They'd be like, all right, what kind of score do you want to get? And then they would decide on a score range, and then he would just take the test and – score in that range yeah that guy's a genius he is he well he's very bright apparently he went to harvard and he's very smart yeah but yeah, yeah that maybe just hire him to tutor you i don't know well i i think i said that i have someone a client of mine a friend of mine who who did hire him for his daughter and he was very impressed by him but he knew that he was making very little money and he's and then he realized now that last week that he was susceptible you know because of all the expenses he had and the type of treatment he was receiving um, yeah. sorry let's let's switch to the, the final final topic I, uh, I want to talk to you about today which is the which also happened in this scandal but it also I believe is is rampant just with regular kids and parents and I'm talking specifically about getting uh, the untimed or other accommodations from the SAT and the, and the ACT. My, um, my my wife was telling me one, one of her best friends from growing up in Long Island. They live in Chicago now, and they go to a private high school. And he takes the test. Uh, he took his ACT timed, and the way he described it, there were a total of five kids in the room, and everyone. You mean untimed or timed? He takes them timed with five kids, and everyone else gets accommodations. Wow. <laughs> so, and I hear stories like that, maybe not always as egregious as that, but uh, I, I did see in one of these articles how there's been, I think, a, a doubling of requests for accommodations over the last five years, and the College Board approves about 85% of them. And it's not so easy to get those accommodations, right, unless you have, I guess, another maybe a, a, psychi- a psychiatrist in your hip pocket. Also, yeah. You, it, it used to be harder. It's not as hard anymore. I believe like a year or two ago, and I have to double-check this, but the college board basically said, if you come to us with a psychiatric education you know, write-up or something that's been, you know, you've been, you've been tested and you have an evaluation submitted to us, we're going to give you extended time. The ACT was notoriously always harder to get the extended time on, but... I remember when I was a school guidance counselor in the 2000s or in the early aughts or whatever they call it, um, at one particular high school, the kids were really smart, but I spent more than half my time in meetings with the assistant principal who was in charge of special like learning differences, the psychologist, the social worker, and then myself, it was a, my student, listening to these families say, oh, there's something wrong with my student. My student has a learning dis- disability, which now we're supposed to say difference. So, but, uh, you know, some kind of LD. And a lot of times it wasn't that. It was just that your, your student is not as high performing as you think he or she may be. Um, they're not dumb. They're just, they, they don't have any extenuating circumstances. But then they would go and they would pay an educational psychologist, you know, or psychiatrist, whatever, um, at psych, you know, several thousand dollars, and they would get this write-up. And because it was a public school, you, we are bound by the ADA to have to evaluate all that and then decide are we going to give them, you know, the extended time or whatever the other accommodations were in school. Then they submit that to the college board and ACT, and it's up to them to decide if they're going to get that extended time on standardized tests. But it's rampant. I mean, it is completely rampant, and it's gotten easier to get those extended time. 
And I have, I have a number of kids that have it, but legitimately so, and a number of them that take it over several days. So, and they have to, you know, their school offers it. Like, it would never occur to them to try to get it. They might, might go to a different school if their school is not a test center. But it's always been proctored by, like, a real proctor, as far as so, I know. So we, so we have um, a, a couple of tutors that work for us, and we do classes, uh, small classes also. And, and Marissa, our, our main tutor, t- uh, told me yesterday how one of her um, students was very openly talking about other ki- you know other kids at her high school here in Long Island who were you know they, they had there's this one um, psychiatrist who's known to be you know kind of easy to get mm-hmm. these assessments from and, uh, and and it seems like um, the, I think the one change that I'm not I'm not so certain about uh, so I'll, I'll defer to you on this that, that the college board apparently made was they wanted to they want to see more of, of a history you know in other words not a last minute or what I call the standardized test onset disorder where yeah like at the beginning of your junior year oh hey yeah. guess what right. I can't focus now and I've got yeah. problems yeah I need some Adderall and I need uh, 504 yeah. So, um, so, so one of the other sick genius things that I think the singer Rick Singer did was he g- got kids to get this evaluation earlier. You know, maybe two yes. years out. So that seemed more convincing. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's 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 not only widespread, but again, I'm coming back to the same thing. It's the openness and the just the matter of fact sort of cavalier way that kids talk about this and parents talk about this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, I got it for my kid too. Yeah, I had to. You know, that that's what's so disturbing to me. Yeah, I mean, and also I think obviously there's going to have to be some amendments to um, how they will accept these ed psych evaluations from now on moving forward because one thing that stinks is that for the kids that really do need it, mm-hmm. they might not get it now or they might not get the extended time because of what's been going on. Like this is, you know, you're ruining it for everybody else that really actually needs it and deserves to have the, the time. Um, but... I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, as I said, I've had students who have been, you know, definitely, definitely needed the extended time. They can't function without it. It's the only way they get through the day, and that's great. But, yeah, I mean, there, you need to have at least proven that you're using any of the accommodations that you might get. You might get extended time. You might get, you know, use of a computer or things like that. And, like, the students need to show. I have a lot of students that are like, oh, I get extended time, but I only use it on tests. And I'm like, like, you know, for standardized tests, I'm like, what about in school? They're like, no. I'm like, well, you should use it in school. If you got it, use it. And they just, it's for one, you know, for one reason only. Yeah, well, that's a red flag that maybe they don't need it. So, so exactly. that's the way I would look at it. So, yeah, I, I am uh, very apprehensive, like you just pointed out, that they're going to clamp down and sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater and make it harder for everyone. So I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I, at this point, you know, it's only been a week, not even since the scandal broke at this point. I think that's inevitable. Um, what, other, what other changes do you, do you uh, think might happen going forward? Um, I certainly hope they ask for, like, a proof of a person's, like, if they're going to keep Photoshopping like that, then they need to have, like, a portfolio of pictures instead of just one. Um, that really, like, I, that killed me. I couldn't believe that they would do that. Um, I certainly think the testing accommodation thing is going to be a, a, a major focus. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, possibly, you know, a lot of times, like, look, a lot of these kids, they didn't, he had control over these two schools, one in LA and one in Houston, where he could arrange for that guy to come in and take the test. He fixed, you know, he paid those proctors to, to then alter the test afterwards and things like that. So, it's perfectly legitimate for a student to take an SAT or ACT at any other school. Um, you know, certainly like I have students, the ACT is not offered in New York State in February. So I've had students go to other states. They might go to Connecticut and New Jersey or they're on spring or, you know, winter break someplace, they might take it there. But I guess sort of, you know, if they're going to have special accommodations for kids who already have accommodations, then that's going to be really need to be closely examined. And then my, my other concern, and this is what I'm actually really curious about, and I don't know how this is going to come out, but apparently with the school, I don't want to say the name of the school because a friend of mine actually works there. So you know that I did some due diligence and Googled all these kids that I knew their names and found out where they went to school, high school. So then I texted my friend that went to the high school. She's like, obviously I can't say anything. She didn't work there when this went down, but now she does, and she's like, obviously, I can't say anything, but if you, you know, obviously, you put the dots into place. Um, but some of these school counselors were notified that there were some discrepancies in the applications. One of them questioned the girls, uh, Lori Lachlan's girls, about the crew, and they were like, wow, you're getting recruited for crew? Like, we had no idea that you did that. And it's not like some kids do sports like that and they do it outside of school, which is understandable, but you'd think that you would know about it as a school counselor. Like you, you go over their applications, you talk with them about their activities. That, if that was such a big part of who they are that they're being recruited for that sport, I would think that you would have told the counselor that. But they didn't because it was all fake. So I think, you know, why at that school in particular, I'm, I'm just curious, I'm dying to know, I know that the counselor raised the red flags and it got shot down. And is that because there's a board of trustees because it's a private school and because the person was afraid of losing their job or like what's happening um, when the counselor raises the red flags? I know it happened at a couple other schools as well. And what's being done about that? It's, you know, if they think something shady is going on, are they contacting the colleges? Are they speaking to the parents or what? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Uh, I have not seen that covered yet anywhere. And uh, what's also interesting and, and I guess a challenge is that um, you know, certainly in a private school where the ratios are a lot more in favor of the guidance counselors, they may have much fewer students to, to be able to handle. But in public schools, you know, is the average ratio like 500 to 1 or something? Right. Students. So I, I don't see how placing an even greater burden on an already overburdened class of uh, school employees is, is going to uh, really be realistic, but it will be very interesting to see um, what happens. I'm, I'm also curious about, you know, I, I know there's legislation proposed uh, so far, you know, at least being talked about, but whether there's going to be any maybe self-policing of, of colleges um, refusing to take donations from families whose kids are applying to that school. I, I'm not really sure anything's going to change personally, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about whether they're going to address that. I think that's sort of a, a public relations issue that I suspect is just going to blow over like every other big crisis, even more important stuff like gun control. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's very interesting. So, so last question, what, if anything, has changed about the way that you are advising families and, and kids since this? Um, nothing.
doing, really. I mean, I'm just kind of going as I always go. I mean, I just – I think, you know, one thing that I have pointed out, a lot of students have contacted me in the past week to let me know about their acceptances and, you know, if they didn't get in anywhere and things like that. And, uh, you know, with all of them, I'm like, you should be so proud of yourself. You did this. I didn't do this, and your parents didn't do this. You did this. And a couple of them were really sweet and wrote back. And they're like, I know, I'm really proud, and my parents are proud of me, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I, I'm just going to continue going along and staying in my lane and just being ethical. And any time, I mean, I can tell when a parent calls me, it, usually if we're going to be a good fit together. And the ones that are not are the people that call me and say, you know, um, you know, do you make phone calls? Do you write the essays? Where do your kids get in? And my students, they apply to a whole huge range of schools. I don't just specialize in students who are in the top 5% of their class or anything like that. So, you know, who feel kind of judgy, like, oh, you have some kids who go to, you know, less selective schools. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe that's the type of person, that, the student that they are, and that's what's going to be the best fit for them. You know, but they, I mean, otherwise it's, it's more like this is, a, a, this is a whole, the student owns the process. And I make that very clear at the get-go, and I'm still going to continue to do that. And that worry about yourself, don't worry about what your friends are doing, stay ethical, and it's going to work out. Yeah, I, I think if, if anything, um, people like you and, and me, we should be getting even louder now and and sort of, you know, quote-unquote, selling against um, with what's going on because, uh, you know, I'd rather attract the right types of, of people that, that, you know, that I want to work with and that you want to work with, and those are people who see this as, you know, part of a process of helping kids be successful which doesn't mean that they have to go to a certain school. It might actually mean the opposite of going to a Harvard or, or something like that. I don't exactly. Really yeah, I don't really care where kids go to school. I just want them to be successful, whether that means Harvard or Nassau Community College. I, I really that, don't care. I'm, I'm totally agnostic about it. That's exactly so. what I say to my students, is at the end of the day, I don't care about the name of the school where you go. Like, you can go to community college for all I care. I want you to be happy and healthy and get the education that you want. And wherever that is... However, I, you know, I can help you get there and be that person, great. But they have to do the work, for sure. Yeah. But yes, just, just to circle bit. back really quick, about the whole thing with the school counselors, a lot of those kids went to small private schools. Yeah. So they don't have 500 students in a right. caseload. So I'm not blaming the counselor at all. I think, if anything, they probably feel terrible and also probably duped. And I would, if that were me, I'd be pissed beyond belief. But... Um, I, I don't know how these families feel, like how they were able to get all of this past the school and past the counselors. I just don't. But well, I'm not blaming the schools or the counselors for that. Yeah, I, I bet you uh, my prediction is some counselors knew and a, and a small fraction of them raised the red flag like your friend, but I, I think a lot No, of she didn't. She didn't work there at the oh, time. She didn't. Okay. No, so, but in, in the deposition or the affidavit, whatever it is, um, there okay. was there was in writing things that I read that said the counselor yeah. came back and like asked a bunch of questions or right. was looking into this and then they had to kind of cover their tracks. Yeah, I, I read that too. I, that was a very clear picture. I could see exactly in my mind how that was happening. But my uh, my suspicion is that a lot of counselors just sort of like shrugged and said, I've, you know, I've tried this before. It's that's just the way it is. It always works that way. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because it's not going to do any good. And, well, uh, and that's endemic of the system. It's not really their fault. It's, yeah, it's, and there was a whole part in the, in, in the documentation about Lori Lachlan and her husband 
where he came into the school and started screaming at the counselors. And this is the school where my friend works. But she, I mean, she has told me nothing, by the way, if she ever hears this podcast. And I'm not going to say where she works. But, um, but where, where those girls went to high school, the, he went in there and started screaming. And then the associate director of athletics, who was on, you know, Singer was paying, there was emails going back and forth saying, you can't have these parents going into the high school and screaming at the counselors. You're going to blow this whole thing wide open. So, yeah, and I, you know what? I was a school counselor. I got to tell you, there were always people I called nutters. You know, you always have like probably 10 families a year that drove you insane, whether the kid was, you know, a good kid or not, and the parents were just demanding, and this is how things go. This is the way they see it going. And sometimes you're just like, okay, fine. I mean, I never really was, was privy to anything illegal or unethical, but just like the demands and the expectations. And after a while, you're like, uh-huh, whatever. You're living in your own world, but fine. I'm just not, I'm not going to raise a stink anymore or, you know, whatever. It's not worth it. It just isn't. Yeah. This, this was, uh, I think you're referring to the, the part where, um, in, in the transcripts where he was, I think he was like screaming, you know, I don't want my, I don't want her to end up at Arizona State. Yes. Or something. <laughs> Poor yeah, was, you. Like, like that would have been so terrible for, for this kid. I just, she I probably know. would have thrived there. Yeah. It has everything she wants. Yeah. The parties, the game days, and oh my gosh, and, and Meghan he, McCain went nuts on The View yeah. the other day. So insulted. They need to hire her as the spokesperson for ASU. And he never went to college also, which was, of course, the irony of ironies. Well, I read that he went to USC, but then the daughter had given an interview last year, earlier, I guess it was last year, where she said basically her dad used the money that his parents gave him to pay for college to start his fashion business, and he faked his way through school, and he never went. So, I mean, look, she's just a young girl. I don't know if that's true, but... I mean, usually the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, <laughs> to sound cliche and basic, but it's true. Well, you model your parents' behavior, and that's, and that's what's, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, one of the sad, also one of the sad things about all this, whole, this whole scandal. Yes. Not always, life. but yeah, I know. And she goes to the version of my New York, or the L.A. version of my gym in New York. I'm like dying to find out what's going on. But that's funny. I can't ask anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad. Like, I feel like that's how, I'm an ethical person. Like, I feel bad even poking around where I might know people who might know something. I'm like, oh, I don't want anybody to get mad. Yeah, just make sure no one's wearing a wire, I guess. <laughs> no, I hope not. Okay. I'm too All afraid right, of no. prison to even think about any, doing any of this kind of stuff. I know. I know. Like, people are like, would you ever do that? I'm like, are you kidding? I wouldn't last five seconds in prison. No, I wouldn't do any of that. I, I, when I hear stuff like this, I feel so boring. I mean, I, I really Me too. I live such a humdrum life. It's funny. I know. So, that's um, what I was saying. Call me naive when I said I was shocked about it. I, yeah. I'm not shocked this stuff goes on. I'm shocked at, like, what these people did. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the photoshopping and stuff. I mean, now people are going to call us and ask me about my business and be like, how good are your Photoshop skills? <laughs> I'm going to say they're not. They're, I don't have any. So yeah. find someone else. So funny. All right, so this Same. is great. Uh, just, just, just give out your, your contact info. How do people find you online or phone number, email, whatever? Oh, sure. You can find me at my website. It's abbysiegel.com. It's A-B-B-Y-S-I-E-G-E-L.com. My email is abby, A-B-B-Y, at abbysiegel.com. And I'm on Facebook. Um, I, sh- I think it's facebook.com slash counselorabby. 
Yes. And yes. I am on Instagram at Abby Siegel, just A-B-B-Y-S-I-E-G-E-L. And my phone number, do you want me to say that? Sure. All right, it's 212-702-9747. Great. Feel free to call, but I don't Photoshop. That's for sure. <laughs> Abby is now taking non-Photoshop calls. Non-Photoshop clients, please. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, well, this is great. Always nice to, to catch up and uh, love the war stories. And, you know, maybe we'll have you back just as, as things continue to, uh, to unfold the tangle web. They, they weave. Be very interesting to keep it I would love that. Yeah. All right, guys. So thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge. If you like this and other episodes, please subscribe. Please uh, do a rating, glowing preferably, in, uh, in iTunes. And, uh, Abby, thanks a lot, and I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, for some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way. Visit LockwoodCollegePrep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.